Hey, everyone. You're listening to On the House with Spartan, an ad-free podcast brought to you by a full-service turnkey company. I'm your host, Lindsay Davis, CEO and co-founder of Spartan Invest. On this show, we talk about all things real estate, from market patterns, industry insight, construction, property management, and other investment avenues. We hope you'll join as we dive into today's episode of On the House with Spartan. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of On the House. I have a special guest today. He's been uh, on our show a few times, and he is just an expert in the lending space. Aaron Chapman with Security National. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for letting me back. I know that I've been here before. It's when they let you back is the question that I always wait to get answered. Right. Well, the answer is definitely yes, because uh, you are probably the best in the industry on on mindset and bringing bringing investors to the real numbers and information surrounding uh, the interest rates and, and lending space. So I, I want to talk a lot about that today and I want to lean on your your expertise. Well, I appreciate that. And I appreciate the fact that you guys feel that way because we've been working our guts out to try and understand the, the needs of the real estate investor better than anybody else. Um, also, the more opportunity I have to interact with you guys gives me more reasons to come out there to go to back over to Birmingham and for us to go get us a bologna sandwich. I knew you were going to say it. I knew it. I knew it. The second you said Birmingham, I knew. So Aaron Chapman goes to one of the nicest restaurants in downtown Birmingham and orders a bologna sandwich and then makes me go and get it. And I hate to admit when he's right, but it is the best bologna sandwich. And well, I sound very Alabama right now. It's like the best damn lunch you can have. I mean, I'm not it's I'm not kidding people. And I'm not, probably not shouldn't even be talking about this. Gonna want people to go over overwhelm them and block them from me getting it. But damn, when you're getting lunch and you're like, there's so many opportunities out there, and you find that the bologna sandwich is the best thing you can get in the area. And you gotta admit it was. I mean, there was nothing on that. There's there's it nothing was, on the yeah, this is a fantastic restaurant. We eat it at it all the time. It is, it, it's amazing. But I, I would have never ordered the bologna sandwich. <laughs> so there you go. So I got to give that one to you. Okay. When so we get, when I get back in town, we're getting it done. So let's get into some some business stuff, some thought process here, because I know you guys have a lot, a vast clientele. You guys have a lot in your database, a lot of people you're working with, and I'm sure the biggest question right now is what should they be doing with the current rate environment? Correct. Right. Most of our investor clients, you know, we have a still a ton and very consistent number of investors that are interested in real estate. They still want to learn more. They want to look at what the monthly cash flow is. Uh, but so much of the feedback is like, you know what, you know, I just I think I'll wait until interest rates drop back down or just hesitant about, hey, what is the economy going to do? You know, and I, I guess I want to know what you're seeing on your end. I know that that's what we're seeing. You and I both know that that's not necessarily the correct mindset and way to approach when you're looking at actually building your wealth and, and purchasing rental properties. But that's what we're seeing a lot of is just waiting and waiting and waiting. <laughs> so one of the things, the key words you just said there was building your wealth, which I think people are failing to understand what building your wealth in real estate really is. We had this really awesome run of ridiculously low interest rates. And so we had this generation of people that called themselves a real estate investor. Then in reality, they were getting in because the cash flows were so easy. Never have any of us ever grown up in any environment. I don't know of anybody 
who's ever had a parent or a grandparent talking about you want to start a business because you're going to cash flow day one. Everybody tells you whether you whether where no matter where you go to school, no matter who, who tries to teach you this, you need to have three to five years worth of reserves just to get it cash flowing. And then if you if your business makes it that long, then you'll have potentially an asset you can sell down the road and retire. Now, when we're talking about real estate. You've got to look at it from the right angle. So one people sitting here saying, well, I'm going to wait till the rates go down. And you're listing the lenders that are out there saying, hey, we expect the rates to become go back to a normal market here in the next year or two. Guys, they don't understand what they're talking about. I'm sorry, but they just do not. A lot of the guys that are, that are pushing that, when you look at their history or their, their background in just the lending space, it's been during this window of time since they started quantitative easing. Do you know that, that term very well, Lindsay? I don't. Okay, so quantitative easing is what is a very, very fancy term coined by the Federal Reserve for how they are going to take capital from the U.S. Treasury and pour it into the into the markets and help get the economy. Nobody was lending. Nobody wanted to lend. People were going into foreclosure like crazy. Uh, Housing was was just plummeting. There was a major issue. So what did they do? They came out November 25th of 2008 and announced quantitative easing. So what they did is when they get into the deep explanations, they're taking billions of dollars and dumping it into the mortgage-backed securities, into the treasuries, and into corporate bonds. Now, what a, when people follow interest rates, they like to say to see what the Fed's doing if they're going to raise the rates. They also look at the um, the the, two, the treasuries, like the ten-year treasury. The only reason you look at the ten-year treasury is because it's a long-term bond. That's it. You're not looking at it because it's actually directly related to the interest rate. What drives the interest rate is called a mortgage-backed security. It's a big pool of money that people would put uh, hedge funds, pension funds, whatever, throw money into, and it would be uh, have a flat rate of return. And then the whoever's control of that of that uh, pool of money would funnel that money through the banks. They would lend it out at a higher rate of interest. So think of it like way back in your community banks. A community bank would take all the deposits in and they would pay people a promised return of certain percent on their checking account, savings account and CD account. So that's almost like a long term bond. We're going to hold this for you and pay you a flat rate of return. But they're going to lend it back to the community. The same damn people who's investing into it or depositing there, they're lending it back to them at a higher uh, rate of interest. So they're paying out, let's say, in the 60s and 70s, five to six, seven percent across those those different uh, accounts, but they're lending it out 12, 13, 14 percent, right? Or maybe it's the 80s. Somewhere along those days, they've got this big gap. So then you've got Lou Ranieri with the with Solomon Brothers says, hmm, we're doing this in a community level. Why we do it on a big level? Well, if you watch the movie The Big Short, it explains how he created these big pools and that's where it all comes from. Well, what I'm going to show you guys here, I'm going to do a quick share screen. I'm going to show you an actual mortgage-backed security, how it trade, how it's traded all the way back to 2008. And this is important for us to be able to take a look at and uh, and be able to understand why this is this is something you want to try and at least understand a little bit. There, It's hard for most people to be able to get their hands on this or be able to see this because it's not a commonly shown thing. So is this popping up? Are you able to see this chart, Lindsay? Um, I, it's not popping up yet. But why, why do you think that this is important to to make sure that investors understand? Because that way they know where the actual, where the interest rates come from. It's not something that the banks are doing. It's really, I mean, the only time the government's really anything, done anything about it is when they start ju- injecting capital into the mortgage-backed securities themselves. And then um, 
really, if they know where the money's coming from, they won't be sitting on the sidelines thinking, well, I'm going to wait till it gets better or the rates are going to go down or well, I'm going to wait till the Fed drops the rates again a little bit more. It has nothing, it has very little to do with that. So when this Absolutely. pops up. This yeah, point. I can see it now. Okay, very cool. So I don't know if you can see my cursor, but way over here in the far left, this is all August of 2008. Well, right here, there's a there's a definitive line here where everything goes above this yellow line and continues to go up. This represents November 25th, 2008, where the Federal Reserve announced quantitative easing. Says we're going to start putting billions of dollars into the markets. Well, before they put it in, they didn't start putting money into the markets until uh, beginning of 2009. So you had all this private capital and hedge funds and pension funds dumping money in because they want to get ahead of the Fed. Well, what you see here is all of this trading means that this is all the capital that's flowed into these pools during this window of time from 2008 all the way till it started flowing out at the end of 2021. So during this whole window of time, we had interest rates that were below 5%. At our lowest point, we were seeing two point, I think it was 2.25 for owner-occupied. We did rates in the mid-threes for, for real estate investors. So it's important to understand that this is a window of time that has never happened before in the history of the mortgage-backed security because they've never had $8.9 trillion available to these, these pools from the federal government. It's all been the economy itself that we're putting money in here. This was created money by the Fed. It wasn't even taken from our taxpayers, right? It was it was just created as clear blue sky, and now they're making us basically pay for it. So one of the things to, to point out here is when it was announced the quantitative tightening, meaning the Fed saying, we're no longer going to do this. We're no longer putting money into these pools. You see this just steep drop off. That's when everybody sold out and got out of it, the excess that they had in there, and the Fed stopped putting in there so they didn't have that continued capital going into the markets and then end up bottoming out here. But what I want everybody to take a close look at is this line that I drew, this yellow line. Nobody who is analyzing these markets has drawn this yet. I have yet to see it. I spend a lot of money investing into other people's data on what they talk about uh, interest rates, these these gurus, if you will, these these former bond traders that are very they're talked about quite a bit. They spend some time on the news as well. Nobody has looked back on the day that the Fed announced it to see what the price point was of this particular security or what the amount of capital was available to lend. So I drew this this line here, this yellow line on that day the Fed announced it. Now, one of the other things that we want to take close look at is this 200 day moving average. So the this there's different things that we look at as far as bond traders will look at that will tell them whether or not they want to buy or sell. So if you look at this, this downward spiral, if you will, the people selling off and every time that you see some traction, it hit this 200 day moving average, which is this blue line, the traders would sell off, go back into that 200 day moving average, it sell off again. It could never stay convincingly above that line. So that means that's an established point that we're going to keep riding downward, meaning money's going to continue to flow out of those bond pools along that, 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 I guess, trajectory. And we're going to continue to see those bond pools continue to go down. Therefore, interest rates go up. Now, if you look here, it was November, it was May, I think, 25th. If I, yeah, May 25th is when the 200-day moving average intersected that same price point where the Fed talked about doing quantitative easing. So my opinion is this is our peak point. This is where our interest rates will be at their lowest. So going forward, we'll continue to have this security trade in these lower price points, meaning interest rates continue to rise. So 
I think it's very, very important that people see that the the way that the bonds itself trade that dictates the price of the of the the loans and the interest rates and what you pay to get those interest rates is in a, a downward trajectory, meaning a continued increase in interest rates, and we believe they're going to continue for the foreseeable future. Now, do you know the name Charlie Munger? Mm-hmm. Wait, wait, really quick. So I just want to go back. Sure. Real fast, though, uh, for those list for those listening that that cannot see. So when you were looking at the the quantitative easing and tightening and and drawing the the, the correlation and, and drawing that line across, where where was that for those that couldn't see? So where that 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 price point, or say that that yellow line that I was referencing. So what that line was uh, was referencing the the date, or at least the 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 amount of capital in the security as of. November 25th, 2008, before quantitative easing. And that was, uh, it, it, if you're looking on the on the sheets to try and price it out, it's kind of interesting to say I'll zoom in on it here because I don't know exactly how to describe it without being able to I see know. Thing, right? So Sorry. No, that, that's quite all right. I'll do the best I can to describe it here. So what you have is a, is a specific price point. And it's referred to as, you know, people talk about par, right? The par rate or the... Um, or a subpar rate. Well, we're looking at a, a par 53 is what this is shows out as far as the price is concerned. Par 53 is what this specific security was at the time when we reached that. Now, where we're trading at today is at just below that. We're trading at 90, was it 99.48? So we're, we're about 100 basis points. It's a little over 100 basis points from where that point was, and we're going to continue to trade below it. So it's my belief that we're not going to go above that par 53 line. So we're 100 basis points below it. We're going to continue to trade lower, which means if you can get a, let's say we were getting a flat interest rate of, let's just for round number sake, seven and a half at this par 53. That means they were get, they would pay you 53 basis points to take that rate or a half a percent. But now to get that same rate, it's going to cost you right around one point to get that same rate. Now, I'm not quoting your rate because rates are going to be different for every person, every situation. I'm just giving you an idea what what the difference is between this uh, this point on the chart versus where we are today. That means to get the same one, it'll cost you a point and a half more, actually one point more to get it than it would have on the date if we were on this specific price point. So I don't know if that helps answer the question. It's No, that's great. No, I, I just wanted to make sure that we were for those that couldn't see. Perfect. Hey, no problem. Yes. So, um, so Charlie Munger, uh, does that, does that name ring a bell? Berkshire Hathaway. Correct. Berkshire Hathaway. It's, uh, that's, uh, Warren Buffett's business partner. He recently did a CNBC interview and I'm pretty sure it's CNBC with Aaron Burnett. And in that interview, he had said that we had seen 40 years of declining interest rates that they anticipate we're going to see 40 years of increasing interest rates. So, that is a big worry for a lot of people. What I find very, very interesting about that interview, when I click on that link now, because it was a, it was an edited version of it where they cut up into little shorts. It's only 17 minutes instead of one hour. When I click on that link now, that link is not available. You can't watch that, that part of the interview. I have spent about six to eight hours of, of rewatching every single edited version of that interview that's on YouTube. Not a single one references that statement any longer. I've downloaded what I could find everywhere I've looked for the transcripts on the interview. Not a single one references that particular statement either. I find it very interesting that that has been taken out. Um, and I have my own theories as to why. When you have a banking industry that is 
basically hell bent on keeping people into a refinance mode or very, very think very, very heavily uh, involved in believing the interest rates are going to get better. They're not going to want somebody to take a 30 year fixed interest rate. You take a 30 year fixed interest rate in a increasing rate environment. They're never refinancing. They're staying put. We have that problem now with all these people got all these awesome rates before it's limiting inventory. We don't have a whole lot of home sales, but if you can convince the home buying public that, Hey, let's get an arm, get a five year or seven year or a 10 year arm. Cause you can refinance when the rates go down. What if they're not going down? What happens then? You've got these people that now are forced into having to do something. They're forced into either uh, just accepting the rate movement with that arm. And then the bank could actually keep collecting more interest when it adjusts like that. Or they refinance and they put themselves into a fixed product or a different product and they keep kicking the can down the road. I firmly believe that a person should always take the 30-year fixed regardless of what's going on in the market because Warren Buffett, which is uh, Charlie's business partner, says it's a one-way bet. It's the greatest financial instrument in history because it's a one-way bet. Why is it a one-way bet? If you lock and the rates go down, you just refi the same way you would have with the arm. If you lock and the rates go up, you're protected. Absolutely. And we've had a lot of investors come and we've seen a lot of uh, turnkey providers, you know, offer uh, partner with lenders to offer different types of arms. And it's like, hey, you know, you're able to to get this for the first year and then it turns into. So talk a little bit about I, I mean, you said the one way bet, which I completely agree. If it does go down again, which I don't. Necessary. I'm not going to bank on, but um, if it does, yeah, you refi. But if it does, if it goes up, you're locked in and you're fine. And and that that rental increase is always going to continue to in uh, to go up that rental rate to cover your your I guess standard monthly payments or whatever. If if it's cash flow you're looking at um, or covering costs. So talk about just purchasing with arms in the investment space? Well, one of the things you just said, I thought was really, really key to under people understand that if you're purchasing with an arm on the belief that it's going to go down, you're operating your entire business on hope. Now, I hope I'm wrong. I pray that I'm wrong about what's going to happen with these interest rates. I don't want to see this going up. I don't want to see them getting to double digits. I believe it's possible they can get there just with a given trajectory of things. And especially with the unintended consequences of all that quantitative easing and the extreme amount of inflation that we're going to continue to see, which is also cooked. We haven't gotten into We don't need to get into that quite yet. But so what I have seen over the history, I've been in this long enough since 1997. I saw the surge of arms and all that. The majority of the foreclosures that I saw during the 2008 crash and the time after that, up until 1415, um, was arms. People with arms that had taken the beating and could not get the refinance they needed. And so that those arms continued to just punish them. Um, an adjustable rate mortgage is it's a great instrument. It works good, but it's not an awesome instrument when you're talking about real estate investment finance. If you want to hold something for a long period, if you're doing buy and hold, especially you need to be look at it from that whole perspective and not from a hope perspective. When you're holding it and you can set your costs for 30 years literally set your cost, then you can at least reasonably predict what the outcome is going to be. So we're going to do a little bit of math together if you're okay with that, Lindsay. If you need a, if you need a phone, a phone, a friend, you can do that if you need to. But, um, and guys, this is not me testing Lindsay's math. This is, and I encourage everybody who's listening, get your pad, get your paper out, get your, your phone. I'm going to actually have you go to your, um, 
to your app store before this is all said and done to get another calculator to help you with your real estate investing. But we're going to start with some baselines, just basic baselines. Now, it may not be 100% applicable to the Birmingham market. It may be applicable to the Birmingham market. We're just using round numbers. And the numbers I'm going to use, I'm going to step on them a bit too. I'm going to make it look a little uglier than it should be. And I hope it's uglier than it should be. So we're going to talk about it being a $200,000 acquisition. And we're going to say you're going to put 20% down. And of course, we're saying 30-year fixed mortgage. I, I personally think it's foolish to do anything, but you do what you want. You're the CEO of your business. If you want to ride the damn thing in the ground, feel free. So 30-year fixed mortgage, we're going to say it's renting for $1,800 a month and that you're getting just $100 a month in cash flow. And... Um, we're going to say it's a really, really shitty future, so it's only 2.5% appreciation. Sound fair? Okay, so if you're buying a $200,000 home and putting 20% down, what is the dollar amount of your down payment? 40000 Correct. And let's beat on this more. Let's say that you've got $10,000 between lender fees, appraisal fees, taxes, insurance, points, everything. So you're investing how much? 50,000. So if you're getting a $200,000 house, you're putting 40,000 down. What is your loan amount? 160,000. Everybody following along so far? You're dead on with the, with the math. That's about as tough as it's going to get, I think. <laughs> but sometimes I pull stuff out of the clear blue sky to test myself. So we're 160,000. Now, the job that every real estate investor has that's listening to this and that ever has done real estate investing is to find a property that you can keep reasonably rented the entire time you own it. You can raise rents. Now, I am assuming that you already did your job, which is get the right people to work with because you're listening to this presentation here. You're working with Spartan. They've got that figured out. You've got the great operations team. I don't have to beat you on you for that. So if you find the property that you keep reasonably rented the entire time you own it, who pays off that mortgage, Lindsay? The tenant. The tenants or group of tenants over 30 years, right? So what we're going to do is we're going to take 160000 You're going to divide it by 30 because that's how many years it's going to take that group of tenants to pay it off unless you have one tenant for 30 years, which would be awesome. That would be amazing. Tell me what figure you get. $5,333. $5,333.34, right? Mm -hmm. And you invested how much again? You invested $40,000. Plus costs. Oh, $50,000. $50,000. Total investor, right? Now hit your divide button on that $53,333 and then type in $50,000 and tell me what percentage you have there. Now the decimal point is going to be off. That is 10.67%. 10.67%, guys. What that means is averaged over 30 years just by having somebody sitting in there paying the bills. This is no cash in your pocket, just paying the bills. Your initial investment of 50 grand is growing by 10.67% every single year. Where else is people getting predictable return on investment like that? This is not happening. I mean, you could throw it into other instruments and get lucky every few years to get 10%, but it doesn't happen consistently like that. So let's talk about something else. We said this is a shitty time in Birmingham and that you're only getting 2.5% appreciation, right? So $200,000 home appreciates 2.5%. What is that dollar amount? 5000 It's 5000 bucks. You've got your $200,000 house is going to appreciate by 5000 So if you invested 50000 and now you made another 5000 What percentage your 50000 go up by? 
10, 10%. 10%. Guys, that's another 10%. So we established just by somebody paying off the loan that you got 10.6%, 6.10.67. Now, by a pre- the house appreciating by a mere 2.5%, it's another 10%. Add that together, it's 10.2, what, 20.2? 20. 20.66. 20. 20.66%. 20.66%. 20. See, Lindsay's correcting me on this one because I was overwhelmed by how ridiculously awesome that is. 20% guys reasonably this is this is reasonable this is me not giving you like some pine in the sky bullshit numbers 20% increase that is year over year over year averaged over 30 years and it's a compound when it comes to the two and a half percent because it's growing not just two and a half percent of 200 two and a half percent of 205 the two and a half percent of 210,000 and change right so you can see how it continues to compound to get in that growth that right there, where if people understand where that massive, massive value is, you'll stop thinking about what's my interest rate today. It's get in the game now. You know, we live in an environment right now where we're being made to be subscri- a subscription-based economy. People want you to pay on a monthly basis for everything. Your housing, your, of course, we're all into the utility stuff. You look at your entertainment subscription-based. You literally don't own it getting to the point where you damn near don't own anything. BMW tried to pull this shit recently where you buy a, a mid-level car for a really low price, but you have to subscribe for all the things, right? The heater's not going to work unless you pay a monthly fee. The AC won't work. The cruise control won't work. All these things. It didn't go over well, but they're going to keep trying. The reason I bring that up is do you want to be the subscriber or you want to be the one who is giving the subscription out? If you own investment real estate, you will be the one offering the subscription. People will be programmed to pay their payments. That's how it's going. So jump in right now. So we did all this math to just show the 20.6. Now, let's talk about that cash flow a second. You have an $1,800 a month rent. And let's just beat the hell out of this cash flow and say it's only $100 a month. How many of your clients or the investors you work with, Lindsay, will get excited when you tell them $200,000 house, $1,800 a month rent, $100 a month cash flow? Actually, not a lot. Very few. Very few. And that's, and, and that's, that's sad. Well, let's get their asses excited right here. So $100 a month cash flow. And we're going to say... And see, Case Schiller says the um, well, the rents are. We've been seeing double digit rents in some places. We've seen high single digits. What what are rents going up by year over year right now in Birmingham? Uh, I mean, right now, I would let's just be safe because we uh, we're they're projected to see a, a slight dip. Let's just be safe with, and with, say with three percent, four percent. So three I mean, would be I, safe. I think three would be safe. We've seen seven to 12 percent um so let's so we're even taking the seven and cutting that more than in half and going to three absolutely let's just be very safe i'm fine with very very safe so three percent if you're getting eighteen hundred dollars a month rent you're getting a hundred dollars a month cash flow first year you're not happy about it but you agree with us that you're going to make a decent return now you raise that eighteen hundred bucks by three percent what's three percent of eighteen hundred Lindsay? Actually, don't tell me. Let me guess. You're not. You know this number. Well, don't I didn't lie. know you were going to say three. I Believe me, I didn't know you were going to say three. Oh, that's true. That's true. That's true. That's fair. I'm going 54 bucks. Bingo. Because I already know because I already do I do 3% all the time. It's amazing you picked it. Well, guys, we didn't have this conversation. She just. I promise we didn't. We you didn't. stay out of my head because it's a really dark place. It looks like a closet, a locked closet full of clowns. So you don't want to go any further than 3%. So 
we're at that 54 bucks. Now, what's cool about the 54 bucks, I know you as an investor are not going to excited about 54 bucks. Nobody's going to jump up and down happy they made 54 bucks. But what's also cool about that is the, in, the tenant's not going to get excited about 54 bucks. They're not going to freak out and want to move out because you raised it by 54 bucks. I'm like, cool. The guy across the street just got punched in the utensil for 200 bucks. We're only 54. Now, you take 54 and you divide that into 100 and you'll figure out what percentage your $100 just went up by. You're going to be really surprised. Five percent, five point, yeah, fifty-four <laughs> percent, right? <laughs> I know everybody goes into this long math. I'm like it was right there the whole time. It was because right there, hiding in plain sight. Your I know cash flow just went up by fifty-four percent. Think about how crazy it is. You raise the rents by three percent, but your cash flow went up by fifty-four. And then you do it again the next year. And the next year, you start seeing this compound growth within three to five years. You're making that three, $400 a month cash flow that you wanted to make. And you forgot all about year one. That's the power behind this compound that people just fail to think about when they look at a pro forma year one, that the compound that comes year four, five, six is ridiculous. And you're getting ahead with that 20% on an annual basis. We haven't even got into the tax benefits yet. The fact you get to write that interest off on your taxes that somebody else pays. You know, we don't have that equation in front of us right now. I am working on some hot rotted out pro forma that will actually map all this stuff out for you. I'm waiting on the professor of accounting at Kennesaw State to come back with the math. We have that math done. He's not releasing it to me yet until we integrate the infinite banking strategy into it as well. There's a lot that we're working on to help investors to really see the value here. But so let me get back on track, though, because I'm I'm, I'm derailing because my mind's going a million miles an hour. So. We have figured where you're getting this compound growth and you're getting this continued increase in your cash flows, does the lender get to increase the payment on your loan because of the inflation that's going on out in the, in the environment? Not if it's a 30-year fix. They do not. Not if it's a 30-year fix. They can in the arm, guys. If you're getting an arm, they can do this to you in a few years, right? So 30-year fix, they cannot. You've set your cost for 30 years. Now, inflation does what to the buying power of the dollar, Lindsay? tanks it. Oh, sorry. Yeah. We're on audio. I did a thumbs down guys. Sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm her interpreter. She does me the sign language. I do the talking. Uh, love it. Love it. So we should take this on the road. So it's, it's tanking the value and the buying power of the dollar. The dollar literally does not spend like it used to case in point. I'd heard this said, and I, I don't have the exact year down. So nobody busts anybody's balls here of the year that I'm putting out there, but there's a point I think it's 1940s, fifties could have been sixties that you could get an ounce of gold with 20 bucks. That ounce of gold would buy you a tailored suit, a shirt, a belt, a pair of shoes, and a pair of socks. And I think a tie. I don't buy ties, but that would get all those things, that ounce of gold, right? Fast forward to today, you can't get an ounce of gold for 20 bucks. But interestingly enough, the value of an ounce of gold today will get you a tailored suit, a shirt, a belt, shoes, and a pair of socks. Now, as long as it's not those red bottom shoes and you want to look like a clown. But I'm saying what I actually had to buy a couple of suits recently. And if I come out for the Spartan Summit, I may wear, wear, wear one of the sun bitches to see if you guys even recognize me walking in. That'd be amazing. I need two hours on the stage and I'll prance around in a suit. So it costs that much. Literally, an ounce of gold will still get that for you. But the instrument you're getting the gold with that you're exchanging with, the U.S. dollar, has lost its buying power over these years. So another example, um, I was in my early 20s, went to Taco Bell, went to their value menu, get two green burritos, two tacos, and a drink for $1.99. I went back through the drive-thru in the last few months with my daughter. It cost me 15 bucks for the same damn thing for her. 
That's what inflation has done to the dollar's value. It's an inability to purchase. So the reason I bring that up is when the lender sets that price, you're going to pay on this example, what we're talking about here, that $160,000 loan over 30 years, you're going to funnel $402,000 of your tenant's money to the lender. But when you recalculate the value of every single dollar that leaves your hands, basing it upon an 8% inflation, and inflation has been above 8%, guys, since the, since the 80s. You look at the real rate of inflation, it's been higher than that. That means the dollar is losing 0.666% of its value every single month, meaning that the lender is only collecting about $152,000 in actual dollar value. They're making less than what they lent you. That is why they keep pushing arms. That is why they keep talking refinance. That is why they make interest rate the main focus for you. So you keep looking, what's a better rate? What's a better rate? What's a better rate? So you refinance and never, ever set yourself in a position to underpay them. And when you're looking at, like, let's just say one of Spartan Invest Pro Formas, we, you know, we call them IPDs, what have you, you're looking at the front. We're only taking into consideration the profit, the cash flow, the $100 a month. That's the only thing that we're looking at that return. And like Aaron is saying, you you add on the appreciation, you add on the principal buy down that the, that the tenant is doing for you. And and then you're you're taking on the, the increases. I mean, none of that is factored in, in into our particular pro forma. So this is why I love these conversations because it brings up all of the other, uh, all the other additions that a rental property will do over the course of time, stop looking at the first year. And people need to look at that pro forma, get their, their, their mind right with respect to uh, what their cash flow needs to do. That, that is a big deal for, for folks. But guys, just know that cash flow is the cherry on top of the Sunday, not the Sunday itself. The Sunday itself is all the other things we were just discussing. So let me share another quick little screen with you with respect to what's going on with interest rates so people feel a little bit more confident in what they do have available to them. Because what's available to you right now is in the sevens. I'm like, oh, this is just catastrophic. They can't believe the interest rates are so high. But what I'm showing you here is 2,720 some odd lines of data um, all the way back to 1971. For the 30-year fixed interest rate, and I've downloaded this from Freddie Mac's website, and then I put it into a spreadsheet, and I've built all this crap out, and I've done the averages. So the average interest rate since 1971, right here, this we're talking 1971 all the way up to, this was uh, June 22nd of 2023, literally just last month. The average rate over that period of time for people buying houses to live in was 7.74%. If you go to bankrate.com right now and look it up, you go to the main page, scroll down, and you'll see a better rate is waiting. You click on mortgage. The average rate for a person buying a house to live in today on a 30-year fix is 7.25. So we're seeing most people locking in the mid to high sevens for a for a uh, investor loan. They're paying points, and I'll get into points in a minute and why that's why that's being done. So if you look and you take out quantitative easing, what we just talked about, the Fed doing an unnatural dump of $8.9 trillion into the market, driving rates down. If you take that out and just eliminate that altogether, 1971 to 2009, the average rate was 9.12% for the average homeowner. Think about that. We're in the sevens right now for investors. When people tell you, hey, we're going to get back to a normal market, guys, that's the normal market. 9.12% 9.12% was the normal market. When I got into the industry, the interest rates were in the eights. And if something happened, I got it down to 6.875, my business took off. Now, to illustrate how much influence the Fed had, 
From 2009 to 2022, the average rate was 4.03% for the average homeowner. From the pandemic to 2000, uh, 2020 till 2022 is 3.34%. That's all that money, that, that public capital going to work. Now, I think because of the charts I showed you earlier, what we discussed, the mortgage-backed securities going all the way back to 2008, that we're settling into an area for the time being between 2000 and 2008. That's going to be probably the price point where we're at because that's the natural market at work. And we have the, the, the it's still a global economy and all these things that were working in our favor. That interest rate averaged from 2000 to 2008 was 6.48%. So what I did was I extracted this data, the data from Freddie Mac. Now, what Freddie published, what Freddie had uh, available is different, what Fannie has available. So sometimes what they show may be a little bit different. So the average rate, that's just from Freddie Mac. It may be a little bit higher. I believe it was a little bit higher when we start looking at Fannie. We did a lot more with the Fannie Mae product than the Freddie product because it was a little bit tighter back then. They'd only allow like four people to buy, uh, to get for finance properties, they stayed tight on that all the way up to like 2016. So it was Fannie Mae that was open to allow more houses to get purchased by people to finance up to that 10. So I think these rates may be a little bit more skewed towards the lower side because they they felt that they had a little bit less um, uh, risk so they could have a slightly better price. But just understand that where we sit today is a phenomenal interest rate compared to any time in history, not considering the time we had quantitative easing. So one other thing I need everybody to do. Yeah, there's that. Yeah, that is definitely a big explosion there, guys. That right there should just rock your head. So right now, everybody needs to go to their app store, grab your phone, go to your app store and, and look for the QJO investment tool. And what that's referred to as, just so we know, and if you can easily remember, it's the quit jerking off investment tool. There we go. Lindsay's got it up right there. I've got it ready. It's stayed on my phone since our um, Spartan Summit of 2022. I, I love this. And the reason you guys want to love this is because you've got the, well, number one, it's mine. Why would you not want to love it there? And you go to the upper right corner. When you open that up, you hit the question mark. It goes right to my website. You can apply through there. Uh, but in the, and you can reach out to me. I mean, hell, I'll just give you my phone number. You guys want to talk? Text me, 602-291-3357. Again, 602-291-3357. Text me. I'll have my assistant sync up uh, time for us to talk and get in depth in this calculator. But the third calculator on there is your mortgage amortization schedule. You can run your payments, what you can expect. What's awesome about that in the upper right-hand corner, you can click on the calendar icon, scroll all the way every year for 30 years and see the effect of your payment and how it takes how it knocks down the balance. Also, how much inflation eroded the dollar. And you can see exactly what we did in the equation earlier. You'll pay $402,000 in principal and interest on this particular $160,000 loan, but the end result is you only gave them $152,000. That's why the banks want you to hurry up and pay it off or pay more. Never pay the mortgage off any faster than you should because you're giving them money while it's worth more. You want to keep that money for yourself and invest it somewhere else. You know, a little quick, uh, quick bit of data here to understand this a little bit more. Uh, Lindsay, have you ever looked at a 30-year amortization table on a mortgage? Remember doing that? I have. What does the first five years look like? All interest. It's heavy, heavy, heavy interest. I mean, majority, majority. It's it's depressing. It's very depressing, right? And so have you ever looked to see how often people refinance their mortgage? Uh, I know that it's about every five to seven years. 
Yep. So every every four four to six is what I've seen. So five four to seven six. fits in that. So four to six, five to seven is very very similar, right? So I had a client, and I did this this actual case study, and I showed it at the Spartan Summit at one of the breakouts. Actually, two of the breakouts. So I had two breakouts, one main stage. I'm trying to remember all the stuff we were doing there. And I showed a guy who had a hundred and twenty thousand dollar loan, and then he came to me 48, 47 months later. He's like, I want to refinance because the rate went down. I said, Don't re- well, how much cash do you want out? It's like, well, none. I just want to refinance. I couldn't talk him into cash out. He really wanted to refinance. So we did. And I kept trying to talk him out of it because it's a waste. And I even showed him by month 48, he made another payment. He had knocked the balance down by just over $6,000. But when you add up all the payments he made, he had paid almost $37,000 over 48 months. But the balance only went down by six. Then we do this refinance and you have costs and taxes and insurance. And where do you think he put those costs, taxes, and insurance? He added it to his loan, right? Oh, yeah. He did what we all do. Just added to the loan. Well, his balance went within $102 of the original balance. All that time he invested 48 months just to get almost the exact same loan amount and start over in a heavy interest period. If he continued that practice for 20 years, he would have paid out over $180,000 and the balance of his loan would be virtually the same. Do you understand why banks want you to think that the interest rate is the most important thing and that you need to refinance when the rates go down? Because they can lock you into the interest heavy period. So just a little little something to, uh, to peek into the head of these bastards that are wanting to keep you as a financial slave. I love it. Okay, Aaron, thank you so much. I completely agree in that there were do not focus on interest rates and that you just outlined the majority of reasons why not to focus on interest rates. So what what do you leave investors with your your tidbit? And and don't worry for those wanting to get a hold of Aaron, we're going to put his number um, in the show notes. And even if you don't use him, he is such a great tool. If you just want to talk, and that's why uh, we love partnering with Aaron is because he's just like, hey, just tell them to call me. Even if they go with someone else, just tell them to call me so I can explain this. So, um, and I think that that's what makes you such an asset to your clients and to investors looking to uh, purchase real estate is because you just offer all of the information and the knowledge and and you you call the bull. So we'll put your number in in show notes for um, for those who wanting are wanting to get a hold of you. But what is your last like last little piece bit of advice of to so investors? Yeah, my is well one give me a call and again it doesn't matter if you go with somebody else you find oh this i i can't get out of this interest rate thing out of my head i got to go with these guys with the arms but at least i'll feel better about me having that opportunity to talk with you because when the when it comes down to it and things get ugly and if you get back into a corner and like damn it i took this arm then it's not our fault right this is me protecting Lindsay and her team from you coming back and say hey you recommended this other guy who talked me into the arm that's number one secondly i'm trying to scream this from the rooftops for the whole world to understand what's going on here but my voice is being drowned out by all the shiny objects by all the other lenders they're just trying to bread their table let me tell you guys i'm this is not me bragging whatsoever i've been at this since 1997 and last year i was ranked number seven in the united states of over a million loan originators There's over a million people doing what I do. And when you look at the top 20 of them, these guys have teams of loan officers. One guy with a bunch of loan originators go out there and get get business and throw it under the one guy's name. I'm the only one in my my space that does just me, Aaron, and I have a team of, of operations people. Rank number seven, make number one in the United States when it comes to real estate investors. I'm not be I'm not trying to pound my chest about this. I'm trying to say, listen, we've seen a lot of stuff. 
We've got to see where thousands of people have made decisions in their business, where thousands of people have failed, where thousands of people have succeeded. You talk to us, you're going to get practical data on where other people have made decisions and where those failures happened and where the successes happened. So that way you can make decisions with practical data, not speculation and theory. Don't get drowned. Let my voice get drowned out by, by shiny objects. Things will sound really sexy with another lender, but you have no idea what you're getting into. If you're dealing with most of the guys out there, majority of the lenders out there that you talk to, you'll see or advertising, they're doing between zero and one transaction per month right now. That's it. These guys are hurting. Now, if you're making a decision on a deal and you're like, I'm not sure if this is right, I'm going to call my lender. If you're either 50 to 100% of their income that month, I guarantee what they're going to tell you is whatever they have to to get you to close because they got to bread their table. God bless them for trying, right? We do a lot of deals and we're blessed to do a lot of deals. You choosing to do that one transaction or not is not going to prevent me and my team's ability to pay our bills. And that's not me being an asshole about it. That's me saying we're going to have a good, solid conversation about what's good for you. I don't care so much about deal one. I care about deal number 10. If you have a shitty deal number one or a shitty deal number two, you're not getting to deal number 10. I need you to get to number 10. Lindsay needs you to get to number 10 because we need you to be successful. If you fail, then we start to fail. We are both very, very violently opposed to failure. Absolutely. Man, Aaron, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on and talking to everybody today. And uh, that's another episode of On the House. Thank you guys for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. If you want to learn more, check us out online at SpartanInvest.com. Until next time, this is On the House with Spartan. Spartan.